You're listening to the Irish Times Worldview Podcast. Welcome to this special edition of Worldview from the Irish Times. I'm Dennis Staunton. After an election that turned every prediction on its head, David Cameron is heading back to Downing Street this morning after his Conservative Party won an overall majority. Mr Cameron's erstwhile coalition partners and the Liberal Democrats have been reduced to single digits in the House of Commons. Labour lost all but one of its seats in Scotland and failed to make a breakthrough in England and Wales. Meanwhile, in Scotland, the Scottish National Party has swept all before it. So what exactly happened last night? And what does it mean for the United Kingdom and for its place in the European Union? I'm joined from London by our London editor, Mark Hennessy, from Edinburgh by Alex Massey, Scotland editor of The Spectator, and here in studio by the Irish Times foreign policy editor, Patrick Smith. Mark, can I ask you first, what did we see happening last night? Well, quite an extraordinary result, and it bears comparison and indeed probably exceeds John Major's achievement in 1992 when uh, he won against Kinnock against the odds, uh, certainly talking to uh, Tories uh, in London this morning, even they are quite stunned. When the exit polls came out last night, uh, people believed that they were excessive, and in fact, uh, the Tories are going to exceed those numbers. So an extraordinary result. Alex Massey. Uh, this is the most remarkable election result um, I think since 1918, um, I can't think of anything other than the Sinn Féin landslide in um, you know, the counties of Southern Ireland um, in 1918 that remotely compares to what we saw uh, in Scotland particularly uh, last night, but, but also actually, yes, indeed, as, uh, as Mark was saying, the, the surprise in seeing that the fact that the Conservatives are actually going to gain seats. I mean, I think I'm right in thinking that David Cameron is the first Prime Minister who, at the end of having served a full uh, a full term as Prime Minister, uh, ha- has actually increased the number of seats uh, his party has won since 1955. Uh, I mean, that, that is an extraordinary result, too. Um, it speaks to a number of things, obviously the weakness of the Labour Party, uh, both in Scotland and in England, um, uh, and, and, if you like, a certain resilience um, about the Tory brand and the way that the Tory message in the end managed to persuade enough people, particularly in England, uh, that, that Cameron does Deserved uh, another term. Uh, I mean, a truly astonishing, uh, remarkable, historic election result. Paddy Smith. Yes, I, 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 I quite agree. I mean, I think we have to bear in mind, um, however, that there are features to this election um, which are very specifically uh, British. Uh, um, Cameron's going to go back in, into Downing Street with a. Uh, um, a vote of about 38% of the of the British electorate. This is not a, an overall majority by by any means, and the vagaries of the single uh, of the first past the post uh, system have meant that small changes regionally across Britain and um, Scotland and Northern Ireland have produced more dramatic results than perhaps we expected. Uh, but it is a remarkable result. Uh, Mark Hennessy, all of the polls were predicting something quite different, and indeed all pundits, including ourselves, were predicting a hung parliament of one kind or another. Mm. What happened between the time that the, uh, the last polls were delivered and the time that uh, people went out to vote? Well, there were, you know, 10 to 15, uh, 16 percent of people who were genuinely undecided. And uh, we were talking about this um, in last week's program, where the level of 
indecision on the parts of, of quite a few people uh, were, were very significant. I went to the polling station that I go to in London uh, yesterday, spoke to three or four people, and every single person, including myself, made up their mind uh, walking into the polling station as to how they were voting. And that did happen to a very great number of people. Um, clearly, uh, the, the Tories did actually get the economic message through at the end. They did it at a very great cost in terms of the messages that they were putting out about Scotland. Uh, and they will reap uh, a very bitter harvest for that at some point in the future, I suspect. Uh, having George Osborne coming out this morning issuing soothing noises about Scotland and Boris Johnson talking about constitutional conventions and David Cameron not quite going that far, but issuing soothing noises as well. Uh, that's all going to be taken uh, with a very jaundiced uh, eye in Scotland. And um, he is going to find it very difficult to even deliver on the Smith Commission proposals, which are deeply unpopular amongst many on his right wing. And he's certainly going to find it almost impossible to go anything further than that, which is certainly what the demand in Scotland is now going to be. Alex Massey, uh, let's talk about Scotland. And could you describe what you believe is the meaning of the election outcome in Scotland with the SNP winning all but three of the seats there? <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, I mean, how to put into words something like that? I mean, as I say, I mean, you know, the comparison with the Sinn Féin landslide in 1918 is the one that um, springs to mind. Um, you know, it is that significant and could at least potentially have uh, similar consequences. Uh, I mean, not in terms of, uh, you know, violence, uh, obviously, but, but in terms of the long-term constitutional integrity of what, what remains of the United Kingdom. Um, uh, I think that, you know, the ball is now in, in David Cameron's court. I think that he has to, if you like, make an offer um, to Scotland that goes rather further than the Smith Commission's uh, proposals for further devolution of powers to and responsibilities to the Scottish Parliament. It's also, I think, incumbent on the SNP um, to uh, act with a, a degree of maturity and generosity in victory, actually, as well. Um, in, a, in a curious way, this is a, an extremely clarifying election result in Scotland. Um, it, it simplifies some things, whereas if the SNP had only won 40 out of the 59 seats, that that would still have been a, a remarkable and historic result, but it wouldn't have been quite as earth-shattering, quite as uh, clear-cut, obviously, as winning 56 of Scotland's 59 seats. Um, you know, how it happened, I mean, basically, um, Scotland's politics has is, is been reordered, um, uh, realigned in terms determined by how people voted in the referendum. Labour had lost, you know, 25, 30% of its votes yesterday, uh, and that is roughly the same percentage of habitual Labour voters who voted yes to independence last September. And the iron logic of the referendum campaign and something Labour weren't able to shift at all or change was if you voted yes in September, why would you vote for a unionist party in May? Uh, and that 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 been the case ever since Jim Murphy became leader of the Labour Party and he wasn't able to do anything at all to shift that. Can we look for a moment at the options that uh, David Cameron's government has in terms of how to deal with Scotland? Boris Johnson this morning was saying that it was time to think about a federal structure for the United Kingdom. Is that the yeah. way to go? Yeah, something of that sort, I think, um, has to happen. I mean, you, you know, the SNP essentially won 50% of the vote in Scotland. Um, this is the sort of landslide result that you can't actually ignore. Um, it requires, um, I think, a, a response from unionism that is 
bigger and more generous than anything we've seen previously. Um, I mean, you know, one of the, the curious ironies of um, of the election is that you know the SNP in, in notionally campaigning for full fiscal autonomy, full fiscal responsibility for Scotland. Um, uh, although they downplayed that element of their uh, um, of their manifesto, l- largely because, at least in the short term, it would um, result in either massive spending cuts or massive tax rises in Scotland. But nevertheless, uh, you know, one of the the curious questions now is what what do the SNP do if, and I say it's if obviously, um, you know, the Conservatives turned round and said, okay, that's what you want. That's that we think you should have that. You know, would the SNP really be able to turn down that sort of an offer? Uh, now the Tories may not go that far, but it's we're we're in you know um, completely unexplored, never mind uncharted waters. And would here. something like that, some kind of Devo Max option, would that actually satisfy the nationalist urge in Scotland? Would it actually postpone the day for even further when Scotland is likely to vote for uh, independence? Well, I mean, Nicola Sturgeon, of course, during this campaign was absolutely clear that, you know, as far as she was concerned, a vote for the SNP in this election wasn't necessarily a vote for SN- for independence. Now, you know, that's the sort of campaign rhetoric that should be taken with a, a pinch of salt. Um, you know, the SNP's ambitions for independence uh, have not disappeared. Um, at the same time, Nicola Sturgeon is very uh, reticent and wary of pushing for another referendum too soon um, uh, because there is a view in nationalist circles that while you can afford to lose one referendum on independence, you can't really afford to lose two. Um, it's Quebec example coming into play. And therefore, the nationalists don't really want to um, to have another referendum unless they are odds on to win it rather than odds odds against winning it. Um, and although you know they, they won 56 of Scotland's 59 seats last night, it's still not clear that there is actually a, a majority for, for for independence. I mean, even all the opinion polls that have been done recently suggest that Scotland would still, if if forced to do so again tomorrow, would still vote no to independence, albeit pretty narrowly. Mark Hennessy. Does the Conservative Party, indeed, uh, do the Conservative Party and the Labour Party, do they have the capacity to respond to the SNP challenge in Scotland? No, it's quite difficult to see how uh, they can actually do that. I mean, oddly, the the one element that the Tories would be very, very keen to foist on Scotland is full fiscal autonomy, believing, uh, uh, as Alex was saying, that it'll actually cost um, uh, the Scots money and, more importantly, in political terms, that it would be uh, an opportunity to put the SNP on the back foot because they have been talking about, uh, they downgraded it to fiscal responsibility, as they called it in their manifesto, but also fiscal responsibility coming very, very slowly. Uh, they, they, the Tories might have uh, an encouragement to actually um, put the SNP to the wall and actually get them to refuse uh, the awarding of powers. There might be some element of political strategy, uh, a strategic advantage for them in that. Uh, for Labour, they have to try and decide what they do with Scottish Labour. I mean, one of the problems that they've had traditionally there is that any of their high flyers have wanted to go to London as soon as possible and have turned away 
from Scottish politics and Scottish M- Labour MPs have always had a very dismissive view of Holyrood since its inception in 99 and the people who uh, ran for the party there have never been uh, their most ambitious or, or their most high-flying. Mark, so, uh, you mentioned, uh, you compared uh, David Cameron's victory uh, last night to John Major's victory in mm. 1992 and of course John Major's victory ushered in five years of torment mm. for John Major at the hands of his own backbenchers mm. uh, over Europe. Are we about to see something similar playing out for David Cameron? We are, and perhaps even worse, because the the temper within the Conservatives about the European Union has only uh, increased uh, over the passage of those years. And the idea that David Cameron could go to Brussels and come back with a significantly better deal uh, is, as of now, pretty fanciful. He'll get some changes uh, on the margins, which they will try to inflate, but it isn't going to persuade at least a third of his own parliamentary party. And it isn't, in, in fact, there are two issues here. One is whether he could get a referendum which he wants passed uh, accepted by the British people but the the bigger question in some ways is whether he can keep uh, the Tories united or whether they will split in the manner uh, that the Tories split in the 19th century over the Corn Laws. Paddy Smith. Yes, I mean, this is the issue which is obviously going to be alarming Dublin most today. Uh, it seems that not only the uh, the fact of a Tory majority, but the nature of that majority, the fact that it, it's, in, it's, it's unconstrained by a, a, a Europhile uh, liberal democratic uh, rump, uh, will, will mean that the uh, Cameron will find himself under enormous pressure from his own party uh, to, to, to come up with a, a major negotiating strategy and, and B, then... Uh, uh, we'll, we'll find it very difficult to win a, a referendum uh, at the end of it. And it, it is, uh, I would say, the prospect of Britain leaving the European Union has has been raised a significant notch. And that is of great concern to, to Ireland. And if you look at, the, uh, at Cameron's prospects for negotiating a deal, as Mark was saying, uh, it looks pretty challenging on the basis of what people in uh, the rest of Europe are saying. How difficult is it going to be for him to get a deal that uh, that, that ticks uh, enough of the boxes that he requires to be for him to be able to endorse it? Well, the, if you like, the lower slopes of the negotiation appear quite straightforward. Everybody can agree to reducing red tape and bureaucracy in Europe. Uh, everybody can agree to uh, some curbs on, on what is called benefit tourism. Uh, but it, it, when you get to the more substantial issues, uh, the issues that might actually require treaty changes, uh, you're going to find very, very strong opposition in in in, uh, in Europe. Uh, changing rules about uh, the, the free movement of labour goes to the core of of European values. It's not it's not possible. Uh, dismantling the social policies of the European Union is is also going to be extremely difficult. So, what he can come back with that is going to impress a his backbenchers and then the British public is is very very limited. If uh, we're seeing what uh, what we appear to be seeing in terms of some kind of a change in the arrangement of uh, the the various constituent parts of the United Kingdom and some kind of federal structure, will that have any effect on Northern Ireland and on Northern Ireland's relationship with the rest of the United Kingdom? Well, that, that's a very interesting question because one of the things that Cameron was pushing was the idea of, of votes for English votes for on, on English issues, something which the DUP has vehemently opposed and and so uh, he the DUP isn't 
appear it doesn't appear to be necessary to to his his majority but it's uh it it certainly will will make its presence felt felt on the issue um one of the ironies of the election of course is that, is that Sinn Féin's abstentionist MP, uh, MPs are going to make it easier for Cameron not to have to rely on on DUP votes uh, to to have his majority uh, Alex Massey, can I, I ask you that if the uh, if Scotland begins to dislocate uh, further from the rest of the United Kingdom, will it stop there, or will it, or, or is this the beginning of a of a broader fragmentation? Um, oh well, I've no idea. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't I don't really see um, Northern Ireland, if, if you like, um, being a, a, an issue. Uh, to be honest. Uh, I mean, the DUP, uh, you know, you can buy them off just with a larger check if required. Um, I'm not sure that the Republic necessarily has as much to worry about um, Northern Ireland there, if you like, than, uh, you know, as as might seem the case uh, right now. Um, You know, Scotland isn't, you know, uh, an SNP landslide in Scotland, you know, doesn't mean that um, Scottish independence is inevitable by any stretch of the imagination. It obviously makes it more possible and more uh, plausible than than it's even the case 24 hours. And and, and an EU referendum presumably makes it more possible. Well, perhaps, but you know, the, the, you know, the chances are that Britain is going to vote to remain in the in the European Union. I mean, the most recent opinion polling on that gives the the staying in, um, you know, side uh, a dozen point advantage on that, and it's the type of referendum campaign in which um, a, a swing towards rather than against the status quo is more probable than not. I mean, that's not to say that it's certain, obviously. I mean, it is entirely possible that regardless of the outcome of any such referendum, if there is one, um, that Cameron will be the third consecutive private Tory prime minister to be ruined, to be broken uh, by Europe. Uh, that That's entirely possible. I mean, as well, says, you know, a third of his parliamentary party essentially want his European policy to fail. Uh, this is not a good place from which to begin. Um, but, you know, at the same time, you know, as I, as I, you know, rather than getting completely panicked and hysterical about these things, you know, it should be remembered that as matters stand right now, and of course things can change, uh, Britain would vote to remain a member of the EU. Uh, the Labour Party probably has got a reasonable uh, grounds to panic this morning, though, uh, and especially if you look at uh, at the difficulties of uh, Scottish Labour. Is it possible for Labour to pursue pursue the kind of policies it may have to pursue to get it, find itself back in the centre of politics in England and Wales, and at the same time do what's necessary to become more popular in Scotland? Uh, no, but then this isn't a problem of policy for Labour. Um, you know, uh, Labour's policies in Scotland are actually quite popular. Um, so popular that the SNP actually copied a lot of them, you know, in terms of taxation, uh, zero-hours contract, uh, welfare and so on. You know, the SNP have actually emulated Labour rather than the other way around. Um, the difficulty is that you can't out-natter that. Uh, and essentially what you have in Scotland right now is politics based on identity rather than class or economic interest. Um, and so you have the SNP saying, we will stand up for Scotland. We will be stronger for Scotland. We will give Scotland a voice at Westminster of a sort it has never had before. Uh, now, these are all highly dubious, tendentious uh, claims, but nevertheless, they cut through with voters. Um, and, and you can't, you know... You, 
you know, when your opponent is wrapping himself in the salt tire and so on, you can't beat him by wrapping yourself in a bigger salt tire. Um, uh, you know, so, it, you know, Labour's problem is one of, of identity and the national mood. Um, I'm not sure it's one of policy necessarily because people aren't voting for the SNP because they approve of SNP policy. They approve of SNP attitudes and sentiments. Mark Hennessy, what can we expect to see uh, from the Labour Party from now on? Well, Scottish Labour is going to have to try and plough a more independent furrow uh, for a start uh, from London, and that's going to be very difficult to do, and it's going to be particularly difficult to do when the SNP has not been roped into a, a some form of deal down south, because at least that way there would have been the occasional chance that the SNP would be faced with the responsibilities of office, even at uh, an indirect uh, level. Um, if I could go back on a couple of points, uh, Cameron does need the DUP to some extent, and he will have to do some sort of deals with them. The, the 2010 intake of Conservative MPs are the most rebellious that have ever been in uh, recent years, and that uh, level of rebelliousness is not going to go away. So he is going to need uh, uh, the DUP as some sort of a buffer that would be occasionally used, useful on occasional votes, Not maybe not every day, but at least sometimes. Secondly, from the Irish government's point of view, there would have to be concern about events in Northern Ireland. If there is a major a crisis in Northern Ireland. We now have a situation where we have a British Prime Minister who will have some dependency, however limited, uh, upon one of the major parties in Northern Ireland. And that is not something that we've seen during uh, the period of the existence of the Good Friday Agreement. Um, so if you go back to Scotland for a second, then uh, the SNP have, a, have a, a few issues because they are at a high tide element. They've taken practically everything uh, in, in the Commons. It can't really get better for them. They're going into uh, immediately into the Holyrood campaign. They will want to win a majority. They will want to destroy Labour at uh, a Holyrood level, just as they've done so at Westminster. Much more difficult, obviously, because the voting system is proportional to a degree. And uh, 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 they're from much higher. Uh, harder to achieve. But you get into a situation where if the SNP wins a majority, then uh, there is going to be, uh, first of all, the, the manifesto that they prepare for that. What do they put in their manifesto about the next referendum? Sturgeon has gone to a lot of trouble not to get tied up on the hook of uh, making, uh, of saying what she will or will not do. Uh, there will be some degree of conditionality to it, uh, to whatever pledge is included in the manifesto, but there will have to be some pledge. And she is running a party that is 105 members, which is almost certainly going to get bigger over the next few weeks. And the majority of those new people are not people who want an independence referendum uh, in decades to come. They want it more quickly, even if uh, the majority, still a majority, or at least somewhere close to a majority of the Scottish population would reject it, even on grounds of weariness at the idea that they could be faced into another two two years of uh, constitutional uh, debate. And, and Mark, what does this uh, election mean for uh, the Labour Party more generally? More generally, they, they are badly split. They would have to get a new leader. Uh, in a way, they are fortunate that Ed Bowles has lost his seat because it at least offers an opportunity to do a clear-up and that you could have a situation uh, within a couple of months where there would be pretty much an entirely fresh or relatively fresh, uh, from the point of view of public perception, in terms of a, a new front bench, and that they start to, to rebuild and perhaps with uh, the onset of a European Union uh, referendum campaign, they can put them 
themselves back at the centre of British politics again, but they face a very, very bad period. And Labour, when they are uh, suffering de- de- uh, defeat, have a terrible tendency of going back and tear themselves apart. One of Miliband's uh, great achievements uh, since uh, he was elected was uh, the fact that he actually managed to avoid that. They may not be so lucky again. Uh, finally, Alex, uh, you were saying that this is a, an historic uh, election in a good way or in a bad way for Britain? Well, um, for for Britain, um, it's a disaster. Um, You know, this is a catastrophe for unionism. Uh, You know, there's no other way around it. Um, You know, that that just can't be ignored or denied. Um, And so, if you like, from that British perspective, it is, as as I said, you know, we need a a new set of meteorological metaphors uh, because, you know, avalanche, earthquake, hurricane, uh, storm, uh, tsunami, you know, don't actually go quite far enough to describe the extent of the SNP surge last night and the way that that can change Britain. Um, it, it is a huge onus and responsibility on David Cameron how he re- responds to this. Um, in some ways, it is the biggest test of his of his political career um, and, and not one that one could be wholly confident that he's up to meeting. And uh, Paddy Smith bringing it all back home, good news or bad news for, uh, for Ireland? I think, I think it's bad news for Ireland in, in the sense that it puts the European question very firmly on, on, on the agenda. Uh, it, it, uh, it's going to make for a couple of years of, of uh, rather fraught negotiations and uh, nervousness in Dublin. Paddy Smith, uh, Alex Massey and Mark Hennessy, thank you. And that's all from this special edition of Worldview. From producer Sinead O'Shea, sound engineer JJ Vernon and from me, Dennis Staunton, goodbye.